if you're innovating, creating, or making a difference. This show is for you. Welcome to Over Coffee. I'm Dot Cannon. Here on Over Coffee, we talk with artists and innovators about the process of changing the world in terms of what they do. So they see a route like in Google Maps, right? It says here is where you are, this is where you're going. And the route essentially lays out a sequence of learning activities that they need to do. It's about who you are, where you want to go, and we'll give you a pathway. What would you really like to learn next? And what if? On your way to that goal, you could have a GPS that could not only pinpoint where you are right now, but could use AI to reroute you if you weren't headed in the right direction. That is exactly what Dr. Prasad Ram has made possible. Dr. Ram, or Prem as he prefers to be called, is the founder and CEO of education research and technology nonprofit Guru. Guru based in Redwood City, California, provides technology tools to promote positive outcomes in education. Their mission is to honor education as a human right, and they're accomplishing this through their Guru Navigator technology. This is a GPS for learning available free to individual educators and learners worldwide. Pram, you introduced yourself on your blog by saying you've spent more than five decades of your life in a sense of wonderment at how complex systems result from simple concepts, simple principles, I believe is what you said. How did you first come to apply that sense of wonderment to exploring the ways human beings learn? Yeah, so as I was kind of working in major companies like Google and Yahoo and so forth, you kind of are building very, very large systems there. Like, for example, developing Google Maps is not a trivial endeavor. But once you think more about it, it is a complicated system, right? And But learning is incredibly complex, right? So I'll kind of just tease this apart. A complicated system is can be, you know, generally characterized as you can scale through replication. If it works for one person, we just copy-paste and it make it work for a million people or a billion people that way. And, you know, coming up with a vaccine for COVID is a complicated system. But once you figure it out, you can make it work for, you know, 7 billion people on this planet. But complex systems don't scale through replication. What works for one child of yours will not work for the second child. Just in the same family, same socioeconomic segments. And what I kind of observed was a lot of the social challenges that we have, whether it's poverty or global warming or education and learning and so forth, these are complex problems. They don't scale through replication, but we have all been trained to kind of think, how do we solve it for one and replicate it? And when I started Guru, one of the common things that people would ask is, show me how it works in one school district and then we will use it without kind of fundamentally understanding that, hey, just because it works somewhere, you know, that is not a proof that it is going to work for you. You kind of have to seek the proof at a more fundamental level and rationalize why it can be made to work for you. In fact, I was impressed by that myself looking it over last night because where I started to learn things like math, we thought everybody started in the same place 
And we thought everybody was going to the same destination. And this is the exact opposite. Before we take a look at Guru, what worked especially well for you as a student? Did you have a great teacher, great environment, or what helped you to become the computer scientist and innovator you are today? So clearly, I had a few phenomenal teachers, particularly in my upper middle school and all of high school. That kind of got me completely interested in a STEM career and an engineering career and so forth. But just as important was the expectation that people set, right? So, you know, I'll give you uh, my personal thing. Like, I was not a good student of history or English and so forth. You know, I would actually fail those subjects, right, in school. And But nobody called me a stupid guy. Nobody called me, you know, this guy needs help because I was good at math and science, right? And that was the key thing that people already set expectations, right? And, you know, they already gave me this reputation that I was good. And then I kind of made myself, I lived up to that reputation. So they didn't make me earn that reputation, right? And that was the fundamental thing, which I feel you know, certain people have that advantage where either the parents and the teachers kind of don't make you earn a reputation, but give you the reputation and then you live up to it. And then you work hard towards that. And to me, you know, at least that has been one of my biggest learnings from my youth, which I kind of practice with my kids as well. With that in mind, please tell me the story of Guru. How did you come to create your nonprofit? So, I was working at Google and I was leading a large team on Google Maps and I had all the, you know, the right, quote unquote, successful career in tech, right? After I finished my PhD, I got a research job at Xerox Park. Then I left for Yahoo and then I left for Google kind of stuff. So with that trajectory, it all feels like, quote unquote, you are successful by some measure of that. But when I kind of always look back, you know, I was born in a village in India. I had, you know, you know, we were kind of, we had very modest means in the family. But what really transformed and gave me those opportunities was the fact that I got educated. And when I reflected on, you know, what would be a more just world, there are many things you can do to create a more just world, you know, and what I distilled it down to is if somehow you can empower people with learning, then they will create a more just world for all of us. So we don't have to do that. We just have to empower people with learning, right? So, so that's kind of how I distilled the whole, you know, kind of having an impact of, at a social justice level to actually making learning happen. And... You know, completely not an educator, have no background in this whole space. And I just looked at it from my own lens. And I said, you know, what I re soon realized when I spent a lot of time researching this topic was education is a graveyard of successful projects. And since in every country, the student achievement has flatlined at best. But when you look at any other report, of any project, it's always a great success, you know, how they had remarkable results, how they kind of uh, transformed something and so on. I'm saying, so where is that translating? 
right? Yes, your project was a success, but the student is still suffering, right? So that's kind of what was my this thing. And then when I kind of looked at what it takes, I looked at a lot of things what learning scientists kind of have talked about. The role of grit, perseverance, mindset, motivation, you know, self-confidence, right? All of these things. And when I look back at my own, this thing, the mere expectations that were set, the fact that I was given a reputation, that I was a smart kid, helped me become a more successful person, right? So a lot of these things, it's not about my knowledge of quadratic equations or my knowledge of nouns and pronouns that actually transformed my life. So that could have been dealt with if we had sorted out the higher principles, right? So what I, and as you know, is very, very evident, each of us are uniquely different when it comes to how we, you know, respond to the outside world, you know, how self-confident we feel, how motivated we are. And it changes by topic, it changes by you know, at the time of the day and things of that nature. So it's not even like we have a constant, you know, my interest in understanding about COVID could be different from my interest in understanding about racism, right? And so it could change from subject to subject as well, right? And so as a result, it's an extraordinarily nuanced about who everybody is. And, you know, having worked on Google Maps, I kind of looked at it as, hey, if we only knew where the learner is and they put out a destination, then should it not be straightforward for a system to propose you a learning pathway, right? And yes, the system can certainly propose you a learning pathway if only we knew where the learner is. And so we kind of call it locate the learner and it's locate the learner comprehensively across all facets of learning and with precision for every competency, right? See, that is the challenge. And I can locate a learner as saying somebody is A grade or somebody is 3.5 GPA. That's like saying I'm somewhere in the United States, take me to John F. Kennedy Airport, right? I can't take you to JFK if you're somewhere in the US. I need to know it with higher precision, your latitude and longitude of where you are. Then I can give you a turn-by-turn directions and you know, no harm if you miss an exit or you make a wrong turn, we'll reroute you back so that you get to your destination every time. Now, for me, that was the biggest awakening was there is no way we even understand who the learner is, but all of education kind of promises to take everybody to a destination, right? So we say, I don't know where you are, But here, if you go through this course, you will know Algebra 1 at the end. Or if you go through this course, you will know cybersecurity. You will be at an intermediate level of cybersecurity, right? So that's kind of the the narrative here, right? And to me, it just doesn't compute. If you don't know where I am, how do you do this? And then if you look at the whole industry as a whole, Everybody talked about personalized learning and adaptive learning and so forth. I said the word personalized begins with the word person. So can you please tell me who the person is? I don't want to know how you come up with personalized learning. I just want to know who you know is the person that you are supporting with learning. 
right? And literally not one of them could explicitly say who the person is because the person is not your knowledge in math or your knowledge in chemistry. The person is your mindset, your behavior, your context, your interests and passion. Since that's who you are. Now, what is the presentation of who you are? Then I can kind of navigate you to any destination. You know, all of that I'm willing to hand wave and say some AI ML will do to come up with some recommendation algorithm and pathway. But to me, the starting point was super, super important. And that's kind of the challenge we took on ourselves. And I'm very happy that we have tackled that. Once you realize that about the location and the fact that the school systems just weren't getting that, what were those early days like with Guru? See, the beautiful thing was educators had it all figured out, right? They just didn't have a mathematical language around it, right? And we were trying to build systems to support educators. So it's like, you know, if you take Google Maps analogy, the cartographers actually know everything. You know, they had the atlases for everything, right? It just wasn't structured in a way that the system could take advantage of it, right? And it was not, you know, laid out on a latitude and longitude so that you know where the Starbucks is and where the gas station is and where you are and, you know, where you want to go. All of that is what the system can support. But the cartographers actually know a lot about how the geography is laid out, right? There was a strong parallel to that in Guru's situation as well, is the educators had it all figured out. And they just didn't have a computer scientist who would, you know, what I jokingly refer to as, I was famous in doing English to English translation, right? Because the educators already knew everything, but just I had to understand all of this. You know, they knew about grit and perseverance, they knew about dependency uh, between concepts, they know about depth of knowledge and, you know, how do you improve the depth of knowledge for somebody, they know about decay functions or, you know, how when you learn something, you tend to forget it if it is not reinforced repeatedly with the adequate level of frequency and so forth. So, you know, they know about stereotype threads, they know about everything, right? Except that there was no translation from there to a computer science language. And as a result, people who are building systems generally ignored everything that the scientists already know about and did something of their own and they built some good UI and good uh, software and they, you know, built some content and they had their theories and they tried to make it work. And then it became more of a system development, software development effort as opposed to a learning effort. So to me, understanding what they already knew was super critical because, you know, that's not clearly something anyone can reinvent, right? And so we worked, I worked very, very closely with researchers and educators and, you know, understanding their language and, you know, situating myself so that I know what they mean, you know, that learning happens when you actually do things, not when you watch things. Now, if you're working on a project or you're writing an essay or writing a proof, then how is the system going to get the data against what you just did and all of that? So I kind of first, it was, you know, like I tell my team, 
we have to perfect the science of listening, right? Because people have it all figured out, right? Our job is to not figure it out. Our job is to kind of understand what they have represented so that we can build systems around it to support them, right? So, and that is a continuing activity for us. And we really, really enjoy that piece of our work. And, you know, particularly that's what gives me the greatest satisfaction in learning about mental health, for example, since learning about children with autism, learning about English language learners. And, you know, there's so much wisdom in this world, but we need to kind of first understand so that we can support them with uh, appropriate systems. What was one of your absolute favorite experiences in those first months of working with your researchers and working with the schools when you were introducing your learning GPS? So I once talked to a teacher and I showed her, you know, a demo of a very, very early demo of what I was thinking of. And she said, Pram, if you put this out, you will do more harm than good. And I thought, hey, I put a good system together and why is she saying this? So she said, what would you say to a student who scores two out of 10 in math, right? I said, you know, I knew it was a trick question. So I didn't want to say, I will say two out of 10. So I'd say, Ms. Friedman, what would you say, right? She'd say, what your system will say is you score two out of 10, you will demotivate the student and you would have destroyed a mathematician for life, right? And so I said, so how would you handle this, Ms. Friedman? And she said, the way we would do it is we would scaffold it. I would say to her, look, I'll let you retake the test and score up to eight out of 10. I will stay after class for 15 minutes. Let us kind of have a conversation then. I will recommend something to you. So please go and spend time watching some of these videos or playing with these simulations. And we will discuss that tomorrow in the class. So there is a full-fledged support that I would bring to make sure that we don't demotivate, we don't reinforce stereotype threats, we don't kind of lose a mathematician for life, right? And when you approach it purely through a system, you know, it's going to be more harmful than good. And that kind of, you know, one of the things I started as I was also looking into complexity science and so forth, complexity science talks about, uses a term called emergence, right? The solution has to emerge in the local context. Solution does not scale through replication, right? It has to emerge for every individual in their context for themselves, right? And when you reflect, you know, that's what parenthood or motherhood is, you know, everything emerges for that child every time, right? That's why you're able to handle multiple kids uniquely because you enable emergence each time. And so this kind of at least opened my eyes to the fact that we have to engage the stakeholders. And, you know, this was even the birth of the name Guru, Guru, which means a teacher. So we set out that learning begins with the teacher, right? And so we spelled Guru with a two double O's, with a double O's to pay homage to Google. But 
guru in sanskrit is generally written in english as g u r u and it means a teacher and we said hey that's kind of the central thing about it and this interaction with this teacher i had was pivotal for us to kind of look at everything from our name of the organization to the whole uh, complexity science with emergence and building looking at it as it's not like google maps in the sense that it's not just the driver that we have to pay attention to but we actually have to pay attention to their parent to their teacher and to their school leadership and everyone else because they are going to enable the emergence it's interesting how that went right back to what you're saying before about expectations and yeah. how a child's expectations would be affected one way or another let's take a look at the navigator itself suppose that we have a teacher let's say this is a 6th grade teacher she's teaching a math class how would she use the device so what we have done is basically when we set it up for a school district we kind of schools already have systems where they have teachers and classes and what subjects they're teaching and all of that information is stored somewhere so we kind of create a specific what we call as a tenancy which is a specific instance of the system for this school district so they can configure it saying hey we teach to california standards state standards or texas state standards and here is the scope and sequence my school uses and so on and so forth or the language of instruction is english and so on right so they can configure the whole system to how they want with all their classes set up with students and teachers assigned and everything else done but the first thing we need to do is to understand where the student is right so we start with a default where we say hey there's enough data in our system that we can tell what a sixth grader looks like and that's purely for usability reasons and i'll clarify this right so ideally what we should do is to kind of give them a diagnostic test ask them 200 questions and they'll answer them and we'll know exactly what they know what they don't and so on and so forth and we can locate them precisely but that kills usability right so you know if we trade usability for precision then students will stop learning they won't use the system as a result they won't learn right so what we said is hey let's kind of start with the first approximation based on the data we have and let's kind of sprinkle the 200 questions during the learning journey so that we are more precisely understanding who the learner is and being able to support and yeah this kind of you know when i interacted with a lot of teachers and i said when a new student walks in how do you kind of do and they said hey we have enough experience to say what a sixth grade student is generally going to look like but then as we interact with the students more and more we understand you know the student is is a strong in certain areas weak in certain other areas you know language is not their forte but they are incredibly analytical and so on and so forth so we understand the learner far better during the process as opposed to kind of sit them down and first keep testing the heck out of them so that's kind of the inspiration we took for saying hey let's start with the first approximation and we call our technique a method of progressive approximations right so we say hey let us kind of now begin to understand the learner better and better as they engage with the system so with this approach as teacher starts everything is set up for her 
And all the students also have what we call the skyline, which is what is their current level of knowledge. And the teacher establishes saying, if you are in my class, you should be at the end of this year, you'll be proficient in eighth grade math, right? And which in our terminology, we call that a high line. So the student's journey is from their skyline to the high line. So all of us in the class are getting to eighth grade math proficiency, which is we share a common high line, but all of us have different starting points. You know, I may have gaps in third grade and fourth grade math, and you may have gaps in sixth grade and seventh grade math and so on. But all of us are getting to the same high line. So, but we get different paths. So it's like to use the Google Maps analogy, all of us could go to JFK, but we all start on our streets. What do the students see when they log in and start using the learning navigator? So they see a route like in Google Maps, right? It says here is where you are, this is where you're going, and here's the sequence of things. They can zoom in, zoom out, and see things at more details. And the route essentially lays out a sequence of learning activities that they need to do. But for every learning activity, we have other related activities that they can explore if they're interested, right? So it's like when you're driving, you know, you're not looking for a coffee shop, but if a Starbucks shows up, that may actually interest you there, right? <laughs> or, you know, if it's time to take a lunch break and a good Mexican restaurant shows up, then that may interest you as well, right? So that's the idea is that while we give you a route, we show you everything in the vicinity and in the neighborhood so that you can kind of choose to go explore and you know indulge yourself so and as they learn and this is the key thing right is as they learn their skyline keeps bumping up to the high line right so very similar to your experience with google maps the actually the only two things you care about are one you know you need to go straight for 1.2 miles and make a right turn what's your next thing to do right you don't need to know all the names of all the roads in between and whether it's one way this way or that way or what the speed limits are and all you need to know is go straight for 1.2 miles and make a right turn right and you're happy to follow those instructions and get to your destination the second thing you need to know is your expected time to arrive is dropping continuously right so these are the only two things that you need to know. And when I led the team on Google Maps, I said, it's not about driving directions. It's about eliminating the anxiety of travel, right? And that's how I see learning or our guru navigator in the context of learning is it's about eliminating the anxiety of learning, right? We will assure you that you'll get to your destination. We will come up, the system will support you and it's not only supporting you directly, but it's also informing your teacher, informing your parent, informing your principal and everyone else through their apps as to how to best support you. So the whole, all the stakeholders and the system is here to get you to your destination. And here's a sequence of things that you need to do, but you can explore anything else you want. I'm hearing a real fun element being added into this for the student. Yes. And there's a, you know, some amount of celebration of you hitting milestones or so forth. You know, we use kangaroo, which is spelled with a guru at the end and as our mascot. So there's a lot of kangaroos that come and celebrate different 
parts of your success along your learning journey, which is works very well. There is, you know, because the skyline and highline are this natural gamification, it lends itself to. So you can see a skyline bump up and so forth. So we have a lot of the gamification elements and reward systems and stuff like that. So, so yeah, it's a very, very fun experience for the student. And, you know, increasingly what we have been looking at is what the game designers have already known for ages and years, right? Years and decades, right? Which is, you know, what are the principles of a gaming that we actually would love to see in real life? While, you know, failing in a game is never a failure. It just means you try again, you play the next game and stuff like that, right? You play games with teams and you with friends and you kind of actually compete with them, but you are still friends. You're not kind of fighting them, though in the game you are actually fighting them, right? So they're just in the way, you know, students kind of, or gamers like to think in terms of their avatars and how they win awards and how they earn and then cash the awards to either get new clothing for their avatar or, you know, get a faster car or some such thing, right? So a lot of these things are and because our system is naturally set up for such, we are now beginning to, you know, study and understand this space so that we can incorporate some of their expertises as well. You've got to love a kangaroo celebrating the kids' wins on this one. This is great. What about the learning community that you've discussed just now? The principal, the teacher, the parents, what do they see as the student is learning? So. Initially, the situation is a little kind of demanding for them because now they have to pay attention at this level of detail. See, before, it's like if I'm a parent, I just outsourced my kid's education to school. You know, I would at best pack lunch kind of stuff, right? And everything else, I let the school and the teacher figure it out. Now that I have, we provide a parent app, parent can, you know, don't have to still do anything, but at least they feel like, hey, now that I have the app, I should at least see how my child is progressing and so forth. So there's some kind of, uh, hey, this uh, requires me to do a little more work. Same thing for the teacher. In in the past, you know, she would produce one scope and sequence, one set of lessons, she would facilitate learning with those lessons. And, you know, some students made it to their destination, some students didn't, and she did her mightiest best. But at the end of the day, you know, it was the student's headache, ultimately, right? Now with all this data and all this AI and recommendation, it kind of sets a new expectation that, hey, you know, you can actually differentiate your instruction, you can actually personalize the interventions for the students and all of that stuff. And there's a high level of support from the systems. So what we kind of consistently see is Initially, people feel like, hey, there's, you know, making some demands on our time. We need to spend a little more time. But very soon, and we have seen this in South Africa, we have seen this in India and so forth as well, is very soon teachers see how their productivity goes up, right? And up to 20% is what we have seen is because they say, hey, now I can actually do what I'm good at and let the system do what it is capable of. 
right? And so that is, you know, that becomes the point of switch where now they, you know, begin to pull and they want to do more of this. And, you know, we kind of, when we initially rolled out Navigator, we rolled it out for just math and middle school math. And then we had to expand it to all of grades 2 to 12 and then build science and build uh, ELA. So this kind of was the K-12 space. But then we saw that skills training people were using Navigator. Higher education people are beginning to use Navigator. Professional learning environments, they're using Navigator. And so as a result, all of our partners had to build a whole bunch of other competency models and content to leverage the Navigator. So we see a strong pull once people kind of experience the benefit of it. And because education has been happening for centuries in a particular way, making the shift, you know, takes an initial amount of handholding and support from our end. But once that happens, then the pull starts to strengthen. It's the difference, I think, between a dynamic education system today and the cut and dried method that our grandparents had. Come in, sit down and listen. Exactly, exactly. What if someone listening right now wants to know more about how do I get my student involved in this? How do I get my child's teacher involved? Where can they get more information? So I've kind of reiterated that we are a nonprofit organization, though what we do is pure technology. And uh, which is not typical for a nonprofit organization, but that's who we are. And we have a mission to honor the human right to education. And we are committed to that above all. So Guru Navigator is free for all teachers and all students worldwide. There's no, you know, and they get the best of what we have for free. So they can go to our website and sign up and start using it, right? So that's how, you know, we are very, very sincere about why we exist and what we are trying to do. Now, when we want to implement it with institutions and when we want to implement it with uh, nonprofit organizations who have a social objective as well, then we have a cost recovery model. So we kind of, you know, charge $1 per student per year, right? Which, you know, what we have seen is the poorest of poor regions of the world can afford to spare $1 per student per year, and that covers our cost. So that's how we have set that up. But we also license the core technology that we have developed to companies, the for-profit companies, and we use the revenues from that license to actually do all the development and all the technology enhancements that we need to do to you know stay ahead of the curve for everyone so that's kind of how we have structured it so students and teachers can go to our website and sign up and start using it right away guru.org g-o-o-r-u as mentioned before yes what about the corporations that have been using this you have your video where you say you can learn anything through this suppose we want to teach something and we have a corporation Maybe people aren't communicating very well. How would you teach communication skills through your guru learning navigator? Yeah. And so I'll kind of first step back and point out that it's like in your Google Maps experience, whether you're taking a 
train in Tokyo or driving in Detroit or walking on Stanford campus, Google Maps actually, you know, the core of the engine doesn't even pay attention to that. All it says is, where are you? Where do you want to go? What are the resources you have, right? For me to help you get from here to there, right? And so Guru Navigator is built with that level of abstraction, saying what you're learning, whether you're trying to improve soft skills with communication and leadership and so forth, or you're trying to learn math, or you're trying to learn welding, right? It doesn't matter, right? Because it's really a competency model and the learning activities associated with it. It's really about understanding where the learner is, what they want to get to, right? So this is kind of the gist of how the whole system works. Now, in fact, communication skills is one of the important things that a lot of people in skills training as well as in professional learning segments use Navigator for. So what has been done is we have, you know, in fact, we first started working on this in a World Bank funded project to develop soft skills in Navigator. And we have kind of put that whole thing out where we have looked at what are the soft skills, what are the different domains for each of the domains, what are the topics, for each of the topic, what are the competencies? Now, what learning activity should you engage in to kind of become proficient in a particular competency and so forth? So we have structured it very similar to how we have structured math or English language or science through this competency model associated learning activities with that. And people are actually improving on soft skills as we speak. What has been one of the most important things you have learned about education, maybe as a dad or through working with Guru and the research you've been doing? Yeah, on all three fronts, I've learned very, very important lessons, right? So one is kind of, you know, learning is very, very complex. And it's not about, it really has to originate in the child itself. So you have to kind of get the child to want to learn, to take agency, to want to do things, right? So it's not about, as a dad, clearly I'm not an educator or any learning scientist, but as a dad, I still had a lab at home with three kids and I had to kind of facilitate that part of it, right? So I had to, and to me, that was the very important thing is it's not about you filling the gaps for them. It is they filling the gaps for themselves but you getting them to a posture where they want to fill the gaps, right? And that's the environment that you create so that they want to fill the gaps. Otherwise, you know, the more you try and uh, do that for them, the more they resist and the more they move away from it. As a computer scientist, I kind of really kind of understood that you know, we are very good at building solutions for complicated systems that replicate very well, right? Paying attention to emergence, paying attention to other stakeholders, getting the whole ecosystem to work together. That's not kind of our general language. Our approach is, hey, we'll build you this piece of software and or hardware, and that will kind of do the trick for you kind of stuff, right? As opposed to we will, you know, definitely use software and technology, but we'll actually engage the whole system because that's only then will you get fully served and will you achieve the outcomes that you're looking at. 
So for us to understand this, you know, from the larger perspective of a complex system and develop a solution to support a complex system was has been a very, very interesting journey, very different from many other large systems that I've been privileged to develop and so forth. So that was very good. And the learning scientists and educators, kind of as we worked with learning scientists, educators, and even nonprofits that work in this space, is what we realized was we needed collective impact, right? There's no way we can replicate what every scientist knows or what every educator knows or what every nonprofit organization does or even for-profit companies do and so forth. We have to find a way to kind of be inclusive of these people, right? And how they we can bring them into. So we developed this thing that we call as the Navigated Learning Collaborator, where the idea is how do you tap into the collective intelligence of the world so that you can reach every learner, every lifelong learner worldwide, right? And that was kind of a big learning for us saying, hey, we cannot build it as a company with the branch offices everywhere in the world. And, you know, we are kind of taking over and facilitating learning from early childhood to K-12 to higher education to skills training to professional learning. That's not how it's going to work. What is going to work is what at least we believe it's going to work is we work on the core, which is the personalization that leads to outcomes, and then work with every other ecosystem player to empower their solution and their approach with this capability that we have so that they can reach their users in a more effective way. So the whole aspect of Navigated Learning Collaborative has been the most central things. And one particular dimension of how do you engage transdisciplinary researchers, somebody works on AI models, somebody works on psychology, somebody works on neuroscience, somebody works on works with autistic kids or children with autism and so on. How do you work with such diverse set of researchers? And, you know, this whole navigated learning collaborative model actually kind of helped us, you know, engage with a variety of researchers, bring in all of their expertise and support them with the system, but also kind of leverage their expertise into the system so that we support the learners. If I were to ask you right now for a skyline and a highline of where you are versus where you want to go with your nonprofit, with whatever you'd like to do in the next five years, where are you? Where are you heading? Yeah, where we are is we feel like we have hit the zero to one piece. We have figured out the solution. We have built out the collaborative. We are engaging with researchers. We have figured out the revenue model to sustain ourselves and fund the whole thing. We have figured out how we can, as a nonprofit, have something for free and have something at a dollar per user per year and have something at a licensing of the software model and so forth. So all of these things, we have figured it out. And now the opportunity is to go from one to 100, which is how do we scale, right? And how do we scale? You know, how do we grow the network of the collaborators so that we are engaging content providers and researchers and educators and technologists and everyone else so that we can scale on every one of those dimensions? How do we kind of reach users in every part of the world? 
So, you know, whether it's language issues or technology infrastructure issues, intermittent connectivity is, you know, the norm in most parts of the world, where in the US, you can assume there's better connectivity and so forth. And then there is the aspect of, you know, scale in terms of revenues itself. And since what kind of, you know, we have fairly modest revenues today and we kind of want to generate adequate revenue so that we can actually even fund some of our nonprofit partners, right? And we believe that having developed the technology, we have the responsibility to kind of support some of the other people as well because technology is imminently monetizable. So, so, so now putting all of that infrastructure in place to generate revenues and support the customers who are paying and who have, you know, understandably so, very high expectations of us because they're paying us and so forth. So, and we have to deliver to all of that. The other very, very important aspect of scale is to kind of pay attention to equity, pay attention to user privacy, pay attention to data ownership and data security, right? Pay attention to accessibility, right? So the system has been designed to start with by saying, hey, tell us, we will first figure out who you are. You could be an English language learner, you could have hearing impairment, you could be a child with autism, or you could have some mental health issues and so forth. It doesn't matter. It's about who you are, where you want to go, and we'll give you a pathway, right? So, so the system at a very core is designed to be this, right? And we tell everybody that the learner owns their data. So Guru owns no data. We are, a, you know, if you think about what Google Maps is, it's really a data backbone. Google does not build roads, Starbucks, or gas stations. But what Google manages is the data about everything. It says this Starbucks is 0.1 mile away or 4.6 star rating and stuff like that, right? So, so similarly, Guru is a data backbone facilitating the whole, orchestrating the whole learning, but we own no data, right? The learner owns their data. So, so setting a very high bar on all of those things and operationalizing it is kind of where we want to go. And so this whole scale, you know, we can think of it as in a broad term as scale, but scale on every one of these dimensions. How can people best support you, your nonprofit especially? There are a few ways. One is to kind of, you know, depending upon who they are, if they are somebody who is actually practicing or a practitioner of facilitator of learning, then we would first love to partner with them because it's not the dollar per user per year, right? That's not a business model. That's a cost recovery model. But the learning that we gain from interacting with them and doing that actually improves our system, right? And to us, to build that vast network of the collaborative is one important way to support Guru because, hey, you're contributing to enhancement of the system, which actually benefits everyone else, not just you, right? And, you know, it's at no cost to you, but it benefits everyone else. So that's kind of the value that we are looking for. The second is, you know, companies who are, who have large reach, they have millions of users, they have large systems, they could be in corporate learning, they can be in K-12 or skills training and so forth. Now, 
if we are able to work with them and incorporate this technology, so at the end of the day, their user is seeing their system, but they're getting a personalized view or personalized learning experience because of what Guru Navigator brings to their system. So it's their customer, it's their revenues, it's their system, their user interface and so on, but supported by the work that we have done. And in exchange, when they pay the license fee, then we kind of, it helps us work to strengthen our system and, you know, reach more of the nonprofits and so on. And the third and important one is people who have talent in any particular area, you know, we would love to kind of find these people and work with them. And since we definitely want people who are mission aligned first, right? People who are mission aligned with a skill that they can contribute to, you know, the skill can be in engineering, the skill can be in AI and data science, skill can be in marketing, skill can be in website design, skill can be in facilitation or curriculum development or whichever area, right? We want them to kind of find, you know, reach out to us and work with us and we'll find a way to work with them in a way that is, you know, it's not about just volunteering. So volunteering is certainly important, but it's not about just volunteering, but it's about joining the coalition of the caring, right? It's joining the mission and saying, hey, we are going to, you know, this mission is not Guru's mission, but it's all of our mission that we want to see a world where everybody has reached that potential that reduces the inequalities in the world. So the last thing I would say is about philanthropists and everyone else who ask, you know, money to spare towards innovation. And, you know, we have a model that scales massively, right? And But we have to continuously invest in innovation, innovation through programs, innovation through developing different types of content, like we talked about soft skills, not just math or science or entrepreneurship or any such thing, or innovation through AI work or through systems development and so on. So, you know, generating support from them would be invaluable for the larger costs that we have. I'm assuming that to reach out to you for any of these, they can contact you through guru.org? Yes, I'm pram at guru.org and they can write to me or reach out to me from the website. And yeah, we would, like I said, you know, we kind of think of it as developing a coalition of the caring, right? So because this, everyone I have met and I have ever talked to actually genuinely cares about learning right? But they just don't know how to participate in a way that is meaningful that they can see value for. And here's a way that you actually, everything is measured. You have a skyline and highline for every learner. So you know exactly how many competencies they gained last week and what did the school gain, what did the district gain, what did the country gain and so on and so forth. And we have all of those analytics so we can kind of work with these other contributors and philanthropists and volunteers and engineers and everyone else so that we can together accelerate, you know, bringing lifelong learning worldwide. Pram shared an observation on this process. The one aspect I would emphasize is the role of philanthropy in this space. Education and learning 
kind of has a business aspect to it. You know, there's the businesses who run, there's the personal aspect to it because, you know, individuals spend on this as well. But there is the philanthropy aspect as well, where there's a lot of that. And what we have seen over the 12 years that I've been in education is, you know, there's not enough risk capital, right? In kind of building technologies, building platforms, building innovation ground up this way but more emphasis on programs and you know things that you can do against that and yeah it's their money they are philanthropists it's their money and i'm grateful to all of them for all the money they give away what i would like to also see is some philanthropists looking at this as a way that you know we can you know not just have a local impact but we can have a global reach and impact and kind of you know investing in some of these core fundamental technologies that we have been working on with the pandemic a lot of people are concerned about the loss of learning what are some of the ways guru is addressing this so first of all you know i don't agree that there was a loss of learning right i believe yes on any given day there is a loss of learning in one area and a gain in learning in something else so if you only measure the places where i had a loss then of course you will label it as a loss learning opportunity but we all learned a lot about public health we all learned a lot about viruses versus bacteria we all learned a lot about you know mrna vaccines and stuff like that so, so there's a lot of learning that actually happened during the pandemic which i believe that's one of the bright things that came out of the pandemic is it raised a lot of awareness a lot of understanding on all of these topics that otherwise we wouldn't have an opportunity to learn about or at least a priority to learn that right so yes in the when you purely look at it from did your knowledge of quadratic equations go up or down then maybe there is a drop in some of those areas right and did your ability to socially interact with friends in a classroom you know kind of dissipate because you didn't go to the classroom for 2 years then yes there was a loss of learning that way right and so i certainly believe that there are certain, but what we have said earlier is it's all about understanding where the learner is yes yeah there may be loss of learning in some domains or some facets and there is a gain in learning in some other areas so let's look at how we can build on the things that you have gained and you know fill the gaps where you have learning losses and actually kind of make you more than whole right so that's how we kind of see this and one of the best things that some of our students did during the pandemic is they learned independently they learned with their parents and some you know few students even learned with their tutors and so forth because the school itself in a certain part of the world was not functioning in a you know well in a steady state right so the opportunity has been that hey you can learn independently you can learn with the teachers or with the tutors or parents in addition to classroom teachers and so it's really on your terms right and once you know where your gaps are then 
we can help you fill those gaps with a variety of learning activities available. So yeah, during the pandemic, there was loss of learning in certain areas. Overall, I'm not so sure. I would say that people did learn a lot of other things, but Guru Navigator kind of helped students learn in a non-classroom setting as well as kind of understand where the gaps were and fill the gaps. And finally, my signature question on my podcast is, if people could only get one thing from you about innovation, creativity, and making a difference, what would you like to have them take away from you? I would say it's about making a difference, making a measurable difference, right? It's not making a difference as Pram will assert or some report will publish, right? It's about making a difference as the learner will attest. Every and you know every learner has to feel that a difference is being made, and the way learners or any other users in general express that is they want more of it. That's when you know it's working, right? If people are using more of Facebook or more of WhatsApp or more of TikTok or whatever it is, then you know something is working for them, whatever that tool was supposed to provide, and that's kind of how we see is that. Ultimately, we want to make a difference. And the way we are going to measure, difference has to be measurable. And the way we're going to observe it is by students engaging more and spending more time and so forth. And I believe that that will be transformative. Prem, thank you for your time today. You have a good one, Doc. Thank you very much. You and I have been listening to Dr. Prasad Ram, founder and CEO of educational technology and research nonprofit Guru. Find out more about the Guru Navigator Learning GPS at guru.org. And as Pram said, if you would like to volunteer or otherwise support Guru in their work, they are a nonprofit, you can reach out to him. Pram at guru, that's spelled G-O-O-R-U, dot org. Pram at guru.org. Once again, the website to check out, guru.org. And that concludes this edition of Over Coffee. Thank you for listening. Listen to more Over Coffee podcasts at twomavericks.com. That's two, T-W-O, Mavericks, M-A-V-E-R-I-X. And you can contact us at twomavericks at gmail.com. The music you're hearing is royalty-free production music provided by Pond5 at pond5.com. I'm Dot Cannon. Here's wishing you a cappuccino day.